months after we uh, open our new building, uh, God is giving me some uh, messages that will be great for you and for your invited guest. But for today and for the rest of our weeks at Notre Dame, well, uh, the messages God's giving me are pretty challenging. Uh, For the next several weeks, I'd like to cover some uh, topics that relate especially to those of us who have been following Jesus for some time. And what God wants to say may make you squirm a little bit. Now, the purpose is not to make you squirm. The purpose is that these messages over the next few weeks are designed to prepare us and equip us for this massive ministry opportunity that is just right around the corner. God is giving us some great opportunities to to maybe make a difference in this region like has never been seen before. But to do that, each one of us who follow Jesus and consider this our church, our hearts need to be right in the right place. So, would you please turn your Bible to the book of Acts, the very last chapter, chapter 28. Uh, the message I'm going to share to you, uh, with you is very important for your relationship with God, but it's also the prequel to the series that I'll begin next week on Paul's letter to the Galatians. Next week, uh, we'll begin a verse-by-verse study of uh, Galatians chapter 1, and that's going to be set up kind of today as we look at the final verses of the book of Acts. At the end of uh, Acts chapter 28, uh, we find the Apostle Paul under house arrest in the city of Rome, uh, where he awaits trial before uh, the courts of Caesar. And just like Jesus was, Paul was in the situation because he's been falsely accused by the jealous religious leaders. And while waiting to appear before Caesar, uh, Paul teaches about Jesus on the front porch of his halfway house uh, to both friendly and unfriendly groups who come to listen to the good news about Jesus. Here we go. Acts chapter 28, beginning at verse 16. Luke writes, When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, Paul called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound with this chain. They replied, We've not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there have reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, 
You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn. And I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So in these words, we hear Paul reaching out to people who are just like he was before his conversion. People who grew up knowing God's word, knowing God's plan, knowing God's promise in Scripture. Paul is speaking to people who, just like he was, they have a lot of head knowledge, but have hearts that are not soft toward God. So, even though Paul gives this compelling proof uh, that Jesus is the Savior promised in Scripture, some have hard hearts and they walk out on Paul. Even though Paul gave a clear rationale for Jesus all day long for several days, they would not listen. And they walked out. And as they're leaving, Paul quotes these powerful words from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, found in verse 27, where Paul says, Through Isaiah, God speaks about you. Your problem is not head knowledge. It's a heart problem. You have a calloused heart. When Paul refers to this problem of calloused heart, you know, it may sound like he's being cranky, but he's not grouchy here. In fact, I think we need to hear these words as tender words coming from Paul who is pleading with people who are just like he is. Paul loves these people, and he knows that they're not fighting against him, really. They're fighting against God. And Paul sees how these religious leaders are suffering from a fatal spiritual disease that is separating them from God and robbing them of the power and the peace and the joy that is found in Jesus. So Paul shouts out this warning from the words of Isaiah, Don't be hard. Don't let your heart become calloused toward God. And just, you know, like I can get a callous on my hand, or my foot, you know, it's possible to get a callus on my spiritual heart. Where, of course, you know, in the Bible, the heart is not the blood pumping muscle in our chest. The heart is the Bible's word for that common room, that God-created common room where he, he wants to meet with people. And when I follow Jesus, He transforms that common room, that heart, into a perfect meeting place for relationship. The Bible says that God, when I come to Jesus, gives me a new heart that is soft and sensitive to God's presence, sensitive to God's desire, to God's will and God's word. God gives me a new heart that is so soft and so sensitive that God just needs to whisper His word. And my heart leaps up and says, I'm ready. I hear you. I want to follow you. But the Bible teaches that God's people can, over time, develop a spiritual disease called the calloused heart. This can happen to people 
who are even new in Jesus. This can happen to me. This can happen to you. You started with Jesus. And your heart was soft. It was new. But maybe over time, a callus has formed. Maybe if you're honest, over time, there's come some distance between you and God. You don't sense God's presence like you used to. You don't sense God's touch, His voice. There's a brittle barrier, a rigid residue. Well, today, God is calling out to you and says, Don't be hard. Don't be hard toward me. Don't let your heart become calloused. When it comes to your foot, or especially your hand, a callus is a place where the skin has become thick. In both Greek, the word Paul uses, and in Hebrew, the word Isaiah uses, the word for callous just means thickened, thickened skin. And so when God speaks about the disease of the calloused heart, he's referring to people who have become hardened to his presence, to his touch, his voice, and to some degree, maybe that's you today. So listen carefully. Decide that right now, if if never before, you're going to have ears that hear the cause of a calloused heart and the cure. First, the cause. The cause of a calloused heart is resisting God. God is active in your life and in my life Every day. If I'm his child, then every moment of every day, God is speaking to me. And I must choose whether I respond to God's voice or I resist God's voice. Every moment of every day, God is nudging me and leading me and calling me and reaching out to me. And each one of those moments is a moment when I have to decide whether I'm going to respond or I'm going to resist God. If I choose to resist God... It has negative consequences, which I'll be describing in just a moment. But if I choose to respond to God when He prompts me, it leads to a cascade of blessings in my life and positive consequences. Do you see what God says in verse 27? If they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and respond or turn, I would heal them. God's activity in my life is designed to help me to see and to hear. God's promptings are designed to heal me. God speaks truth into my mind and is designed to heal me from twisted perspectives and thought patterns. But if I resist God, I say he's trapped in lies. God nudges me. So that I make peace with those who hurt me in my, in my relationships because he wants to heal those relationships. But if I resist God, my wounds of anger and bitterness just fester. God convicts my conscience of sin in order to lead me to healing. But if I resist God, the fruit of those bad choices just gets worse and worse. And grows more and more in a negative way. God wants to heal me. But I lose all God's repairing work if I resist Him. Resisting God contributes to this gradual process of heart hardness. Each time I resist God's voice telling me to reach out with His love. Or speak a word of encouragement to someone uh, 
Each time I resist, um, and, and instead of responding to God, a thin layer of deadness comes over my relationship with God. Each time I resist God's nudge to forgive the one who has hurt me, a thin layer of deadness comes over me. Each time I resist God's conviction over my attitudes of jealousy or anger, a thin layer of deadness goes down. My heart becomes calloused when I repeatedly resist the moving of the Holy Spirit, resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit, resist the leadings of the Holy Spirit, resist the promptings of the Holy Spirit, And each time I resist, a spiritual equivalent of a layer of dead skin forms around my heart relationship with God. You know, if you medically examine a callus on your hand, you just see that it's just layer of layer and layer of deadness. But while a callus on my hand is harmless, a callus on my relationship with God is tragic. Spiritually speaking, there is nothing, nothing more serious, nothing worse than a calloused heart. You would say, what about sin? No, having sin in my life is not the worst thing. Because if I have a soft heart toward God, God can put His finger on that attitude, that destructive habit, and I will feel conviction. And I'll respond to God by asking for healing, which is a terrific result. So having sin in my life is not the worst thing that can happen to me. But a calloused heart that comes from resisting God That's the worst thing that can happen to me. Because if I have a hard heart and I am insensitive to God's touch, with a hard heart I don't even feel God's conviction upon me. I don't even smell the destruction taking place in my life. I don't sense any urgency to get right with God. And just like I don't sense the convicting nudge, I don't want you to think it's all about fixing negative stuff. No. If I have a calloused heart, I don't sense the loving voice of God, of God either. I don't, I don't sense His tender leading in my life to a life of significance. You know, one of the su- symptoms of a calloused heart is a gradual decline in my awareness of the promptings and leadings of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I emphasize the gradual process because just like the growth of a physical callus, it's very subtle. Let's say, you know, I come across a hurting person and God prompts me to stop. God prompts me to stop and maybe just listen or maybe get involved with a little bit of help or uh, a, a kind word in Jesus or, or to pray for that person. If instead of responding to this prompting, I resist God because I'm too afraid or I'm just too busy or too selfish, a little dead layer settles on my heart, which makes me then less sensitive the next time God prompts me to do something similar. This process becomes especially dramatic when I am repeatedly violating a direct and clear command of God in His Word. Let's say that I'm sexually involved outside of marriage. Or I'm hurting people by my vicious temper and, and sharp tongue. Or I'm causing disunity in the church by gossiping about people. God is 
clear about these things in His Word. And if I persist in doing these things, let me tell you what happens. The first time I violate God's direct commands, I feel remorse and I feel conviction. The second time I do the same thing, I start making excuses and I start bargaining with God. By the third time, I am now self-justified and I have my perfect reasons for doing the, the very same thing that used to bring me great conviction. I know this process is real because I've experienced it in my life. And I've seen it in other people. Like a person who's described in the Bible. I'm talking about Pharaoh of Egypt. In the book of Exodus, Moses brought God's command to Pharaoh. God's command was, Pharaoh, let my people go that they may worship me. Let them go out of slavery so they can worship me. And as the Bible account goes on, it becomes very clear that Pharaoh has no intention of following the command of God. Pharaoh was at first very proud and resisting God outright. But then the plague started coming. He started seeing the negative consequences of his resisting against God. And so Pharaoh turned his outright resistance against God into something a little more subtle. Pharaoh started bargaining with God's command. Pharaoh tells Moses, you know, I won't let the people go, but you can worship here in Egypt. And then later, Pharaoh says, okay, uh, you can go, but just not very far. Or he says, you can go, but only the men. And then he says, no, okay, the men and the women can go, but the livestock have to stay here. And it just keeps going on and on. And the Bible says that in this bargaining process, Pharaoh's heart became hard. And the Bible makes it clear who hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh did. This account in Exodus makes it clear that Pharaoh hardened his heart against God first. In Exodus chapter 8, twice it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And then, in chapter 9, it gets even more disastrous. Because then, after repeatedly hardening his heart toward God, in chapter 9 of Exodus, God turns Pharaoh over to the hard heart. And it says that God hardens his heart. The message of Pharaoh's life is that it's only a fool who would bargain with the commands of God, especially a child of God, to keep my heart soft, to soften my calloused heart. I need to stop playing games with God. And I need to respond to God with sincerity and humility, which leads to the cure. There is a cure for the calloused heart. The cure of the calloused heart is confessing to God. Confession is responding to God with agreement. When I confess to God, God promises that He will remove those layers of deadness. As we're told in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us, cleanse us, from all unrighteousness. What is confession? Confession is responding to God with agreement. The Greek word that Paul uses for, or actually John uses for confession in 1 John 1.9 is homologo. 
where there's two parts, where homo means same and logo means word or thing. So what's confession? It's saying the same thing. Confession is where I agree with God. I agree with God that I have been resisting Him. I agree that my heart needs to be changed because it's been hardened. And then I agree with God where I need to follow through on the changes that He is bringing to my heart. Let's say that I'm bitter towards someone. I'm bitter towards someone who has hurt me. Uh, And God's Word keeps calling me. I keep getting these nudges from God over and over again to do the hard work of forgiveness and peacemaking. But I'm resisting God. I have my reasons why I am not going to in any way let go of this person who has hurt me so much. And as I resist God, That hardness takes place in my heart. How do you cure that? You confess. Confession means I stop resisting God and I start agreeing with God's call to forgive and I agree that I need His help to follow through with real acts of peacemaking. You may say, wow, confession is not easy. Confession is painful. You're right. In a sense, confession is painful. It's painful to stop playing games with God and get honest. It's a little bit painful to confront my bad attitudes and my destructive ways. But confession is like surgery. It's a kind of pain that heals When in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying that sometimes feeling pain is much healthier than not feeling pain. This is true on a spiritual level. It's also even true on a physical level. On a physical level, pain sensitivity is part of a healthy body. People with Hansen's disease have bodies that lack lack pain sensitivity because they have no pain sensors. A small speck in their eye goes untreated and leads to blindness. They lose hands and feet to small cuts and abrasions that go untreated. And when gangrene sets in, it's too late. There There is, of course, a much older name for Hansen's disease. It's leprosy. So when Jesus, throughout the New Testament, goes around healing people of leprosy, you know what he's doing? He's giving people back their ability to feel, to feel pain. Jesus wants to heal my heart leprosy. And the way he does it is through my response of confession. Confession is good pain. It's the kind of pain that cleanses me from heart hardness, keeps me close to God, keeps me soft. And so right now, I'd like to give you a few moments to confess. You know, maybe you have been following Jesus for some time now. And over those years, you've developed a head knowledge. And that's wonderful. But something else has slowly been happening to your heart. It's not so good. Maybe you realize that you have a degree of hardness in your heart toward God. The bad news is that God has big plans 
to bring many lives into our midst as a church. The bad news is there are hundreds of people coming who have major spiritual needs. And God can't use us to the maximum if we have layers of deadness around our hearts. But this bad news is overshadowed by the good news. The good news is that God can cleanse all those dead layers in a blink of an eye. God will take away those calluses right now if you will respond and not resist. Over the last 20 minutes or so, God has been prompting you, prompting you about something only you and God know about. God has put His finger on something, and you must decide whether you're going to resist God or you're going to respond. What will it be? I think you are going to respond to God. Because you want to be healed. You want to be used by God in great ways just right around the corner. You know, there's a man here who has hurt people in his family. And he's never told them that he's sorry. But right now, he'll respond to God and he will be saying words that his family has longed to hear for so long. And it will bring healing to his family. Right now, there's a woman here. There's a woman here who has been carrying anger and bitterness for so long against someone who has hurt her, and it makes her hard. Right now, she's going to respond to God and become so heart soft that she will giggle like she has not in years. There's a student here who has been involved in a relationship that does not please God. Right now, that student will respond to God and be saved from the growing hardness that's creeping up inside. There are men and women right here, and God has been nudging you for a long time. God's been nudging you to use your gifts to serve in the church. God's been nudging you to tithe, to use what He's given you and share it with God's people in a way that changes lives. He's been nudging you to trust Him with a decision. He's been nudging you to to give up something or to take control of something He wants you to lead. But you've been resisting Him. You've been resisting God. But not today. Today, you're going to respond with a decision that you're going to do what He wants you to do. You're going to go where He wants you to go. That's you. This is the moment that's going to set the direction for the rest of your life. This is the moment you stop resisting God This is the day when you respond to Him and you will no longer be hard. Instead, you will be healed. Healed. So let's just spend a moment now. Let me just give you a moment. Just, Just a moment of quiet. Just for you to reflect, to listen, and then to respond to God. Now that you've been honest with God and you've confessed and you've agreed, I'd like you to stand right now and I'd like to commission you for uh, some great things ahead. Would you please stand? 
Oh God, we thank you for your promise. Your promise is that the hardness of heart that grows so gradually over years and years can be conquered in a second. As we come to you with a new attitude, with a desire to respond to your word, you can set us free and you can give us hearts that are soft to you. Now, Lord, would you lead us from this point, sensitive like never before, to your promptings, listening to your voice and able to be used by you for great things ahead. Lord, each one who stands before you now, who has a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, I commission now to be a part of your great work that is just right around the corner. And Lord, we pray it all for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.